Welcome to TSBRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining us today is Jay Evans, the chair of the Water Subcommittee at TSCRA. Jay, thanks for being with us today. I'm excited to visit. Oh, thank you, Kristen. Glad to be here. Now, water's a big topic, and it continues to be top of mind for everyone. Talk to us a bit about water and the conversations that are happening with the population growth in Texas and the need for clean, usable water. It's a topic anytime in Texas for not only your rural areas, but for the, you know, that we exist in so much in agriculture, but also in the, you know, in all the the urban areas too. I think it naturally tends to get more attention when we're going through droughts. If you go back to the 11 drought and how much attention it got at the legislature at that time and the drought that we're dealing with now, especially when you look west of I-35 all the way to the you know, to the Pacific Ocean and north too. But in this particular case, just West Texas, anything, and it's spotty in places, and there has been a little bit of relief from time to time. But overall, we've got some, you know, we're still in a serious drought, and that just tends to bring more attention to it. You know, we're starting to see, you know, a lot of municipalities that are restricting water use. They've gone to different stages of even what you can do with irrigation systems. So it's definitely on, it's definitely on everybody's mind right now. I think in general, you know, as it goes to agriculture, we're seeing declining aquifers. We're seeing declining even, even where we're not in a, an aquifer, but where you've got domestic and, and wildlife use, especially when you're competing in an area where there's, and this is not a knock on our farmer friends, but when you're competing with, with irrigation, you, you know, when they're so dry and they're needing to irrigate so much, it definitely affects the water tables in, in that area. So it certainly gets accentuated by drought. Sure. Let's go into potable water specifically and what's going on around that topic. Well, let me start with a little bit of background there. Sure. Uh, Senator Perry from Lubbock, who's a great friend of agriculture and been a strong supporter of Texas and Southwest Cattle Raisers Association in an effort to try to, especially for his area, as you know, the the South Plains is a huge producer of cotton. So when you start looking at the bill, this resulted out of a bill from the last legislative session that was sponsored and promoted by Senator Perry. The main goal here is to take water Produced water typically is, is what comes, you know, as a result is, is kind of the byproduct of oil and gas drilling. And it's got a high salinity and sometimes the chemicals used that are part of the fracking process. It's, it's not suitable for really any kind of consumption. So, and up until now, for the most part, it's been disposed of, hauled off site, or there could be on site too, but it's been disposed of in saltwater injection wells. So you see a lot of the trucking that you see that is leaving areas and, and, and is on the roads is, is hauling that produced water out and injecting it into, into saltwater injection wells. Heretofore, it's really kind of been looked at as a liability because there's really nothing you could do with it. The goal of this bill, which is you know, just really the intended 
product and, and production would be to take this water. And let me back up a second and say that there has been some technology that's been promoted by the oil companies and independent companies. They brought the technology a long ways toward trying to take this produced water and this with the high salinity and chemical and make it into something that's usable. And I think you've got to look at the, you know, when you look at human consumption, even though they're talking about putting it on cotton crops or other row crops, <laughs> there's nothing that's not for human consumption ultimately. So I think we've got to keep that in mind as we work through the process. But this is a the goal and the and the intention of this, I think, is is something that's really important. So he this legislature established a produced water consortium and Texas Tech University is housing that project and is responsible for managing it. And it's made up of the oil companies are obviously a big part of this project. The farming community has definitely got a vested interest in it, as does the ag community as a whole. And in particular, Texas and Southwest cow raisers has a vested interest in this. And the cow raisers is a member of this consortium. And then personally, I'm also serving on one of the subcommittees. I think the one of the main concerns here that we have as landowners and our, you know, our association, and I'll, I'll just speak from cattle raisers for a minute, from our association that is just such a strong proponent of, of landowners and representing our member in their landowner rights. We've now had uh, Supreme Court rulings, uh, legislative rulings, and there's no question that the groundwater belongs to the landowner. Surface water is a different issue and, and it's, it's managed, you know, by the state. And there's, of course, your navigable waters and streams. That's all managed by TCEQ and it's considered more of a, of a state property. But the groundwater has just, and it's been through a series of court cases and Supreme Court rulings and, and legislation is definitely, there's no question that it belongs to the landowner unless it's been specifically severed. It goes with the land. So important for ag production and, and, and that ride is something that, that as landowners, we feel really is probably one of the most important rights that we have. So I think where the concern is, is, is out of this, does anything come out of this process that changes that ownership of that water? Because even though it's, it's produced, Water that comes from, from agriculture as, as a landowner and from a cattle raiser standpoint, we feel strongly that that water, if we don't sever it, then that water still goes with the land. So I think that's, and I'm not saying that that's the intent of anybody, but I am saying that it's, it's a concern and it's something that I think is very important and one of the main reasons that, that we need to be involved in this process. Sure. It sounds like it's a complex issue with lots of different things to take into consideration and be in the discussions on right now. Yes, ma'am. There's no question about that. Earlier, you mentioned TCEQ. Give us an update on the case with the decision around ownership of water rights. Well, I think the probably the biggest case that you're referring to was the, the recent Brazos River deal where it's paid partners versus DDR family properties. And this was, you know, the case was proper jurisdiction 
to decide disputes over ownership of water rights between the uh, between the court systems or TCEQ. This came into question when the Tenth Circuit Court ruled that TCEQ had exclusive jurisdiction to decide questions over ownership of water rights and that any dis- disputes need to go through that agency. Ruling it, it came under a lot of criticism for establishing a uh, president and creating a tremendous amount of uncertainty for landowners that were using that type of water. This particular case was related to the Brazos River and, and it was related to those adjudicated water rights in the river. So we got involved, cattle raisers, and, a, and a, not only us, but there were a lot of people involved. But we did an amicus brief and uh, just arguing that TCQ does not have the jurisdiction that was suggested by the appeals court and just pleaded and, and asked the Texas Supreme Court to consider the issue and reverse the ruling. And in May of this year, they did that. As I stated earlier, TCQ was, they also agreed that they didn't have the jurisdiction in this case. So I think the decision was important and ensures that Texas property owners can continue to rely on the Texas courts in cases like this to decide questions over ownership of water rights. Sure, sure. Well, and then another hot topic is the construction of Lake Ringgold um, near Wichita Falls. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, the project is, has been around. The discussion on it is, it, it, this isn't new. It's been around for several years, but it's, as you know, anytime you deal with a reservoir, it's a long drawn out process. They say at least 20 years from conception to maybe even getting started on construction. But in this particular case, Wichita Falls is the proponent of this deal, but, but it's, it's got a tremendous impact on uh, agriculture, 1,300 plus producers are going to be impacted, over 75,000 head of cattle. And they actually, Wichita Falls actually started this process in 2017. So we, on behalf of cattle raisers, we, we have requested a contested case hearing. We're awarded that and we're granted that hearing. And, and as a result of that process, cattle raisers will move forward and will be represented, I think it's July 19th the state office administration uh, preliminary case hearing. And uh, the main purpose of that hearing is to establish jurisdiction for the procedural schedule for the remainder of the proceedings. I think it's this type of situation has a definite impact on agriculture long term. I think some of the concerns related to this would be in some of the information that's out there. It said over 75% of this water would be sold to Dallas. It was not actually for the consumption of Wichita Falls. So it's the cost, what a lot of the local Wichita Falls people in surrounding areas that use that water. And and I don't want to get into quoting cost. I I just know, you know, it's going to be 25 to 30 years and they're calling for a price tag of over 400 million. But man, there's a lot of discussion about that as to what can, what has happened and what will happen with inflation. And there's some other factors that need to be considered in this. It definitely impacts the, you know, that large number of, of ag producers in that area. Well, definitely something to stay in the loop on it. And um, I know cattle raisers will stay on top of it. Yes, ma'am. We're engaged. There's a a large contingency of our membership that's affected by this. 
So we'll be engaged as it as it moves forward. Yes, ma'am. Well, and and a topic that is ongoing as well is critical habitat. Talk to us about how that plays a role for producers. Well, when you any time that you deal with endangered species, it can definitely have a an impact on producers. You're dealing with fish and wildlife. We're dealing with other government entities, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the the restrictions and what they can do in certain cases can actually take your land out of production or convert it from the intended use or strictly severely restrict. We've seen cases I've been involved with the prairie chicken habitat and trying to reestablish some of that habitat through the waffle program. And a lot of areas are impacted that really shouldn't be in that area. So there's a lot of unintended and periphery consequences that go along with, with some of these rulings and issues. But in this particular case, let's talk about water. And one of the concerns that we see in the way of water, and I'm going to go right back to groundwater again and, and that ownership on behalf of the landowner, is that there has been discussions and in cases where that they are tying an endangered species that may be in a flowing stream or creek, which is obviously surface water, you know, state controlled. But there's so when the EPA or Fish and Wildlife starts looking at that and endangered species uh, that's in a that's in a surface situation, they are starting to look at at tying that to groundwater so that they can argue that that surface water in certain cases may be impacted by the uh, groundwater situation. And you can see that so that that when if they were to make that an endangered, that particular species, something endangered species and successfully tie it to the to groundwater for a particular landowner, then once again, who has, you know, are they going to be able to control your use of that vested right in that in that groundwater? Not something that's that's real active right now, but it's one of those things that we're interested in and and we need to be monitoring that as it moves forward and be sure that we want to be sensitive to our endangered species. We don't want some unintended consequences that that would affect that groundwater ownership. Definitely, definitely something to stay aware of and in the loop on again with all of these topics. Well, and and Another topic that is ongoing and continues to change, it seems like, with uh, the different administrations is WOTUS. Talk to us about (laughs) Waters of the U.S. Well, we've been talking about Waters of the U.S. for a long time now. It's an ongoing topic. And one of the things you said up front was because it tends to change from administration to administration. So you can go all the way back to the 86 rule. And I mentioned that because there was really that was almost a case by case situation and and then you went along and you, and you had the what resulted WOTUS that resulted from the Obama administration where they definitely went in and actually defined it didn't become a case by case anymore it, they actually defined the rules on that and on behalf of agriculture we felt like that it was very far reaching and and overreaching and uh, you know you could take you could interpret it 
to mean that, uh, you know, your the bar ditch could be impacted or when you got a heavy rain in one of your stock tanks might overflow into something. So it was very, very far reaching in farmland cr- row crops, you know, their bar ditches and things like that. It, it was, and it left, it created a lot of uncertainty because some of those rules were very difficult to to interpret, but at least there was a set of rules. Well, recently there was a, and I don't know the, the court case, but it was a, it was, I think it was, it was in Arizona. There was a circuit court that ruled, and this was just, this was since the Biden administration has come into, you know, the new administration is in place. And by the way, pretty quick after they came in, they decided that, that they wanted to undo the Trump rule. And so we went from, 86 to Obama and then Trump went in and, and reworked the Waters rule, tried to take out the a lot of the far reaching effects, made it where you could understand there was some predictability in the process. So it was definitely supported by agriculture. And then the Biden administration decided that they wanted to make another change so that they wanted to definitely modify the Trump rule. Well, the court in Arizona ruled that and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know the case. But anyway, the, the gist of that ruling was, is that we go back to the 86 rule. So the Trump rule was vacated. We were, by ruling on that, we were back to the to the 86 rule. And so a lot of people, obviously, that, that kind of shook up the process because here we were at another change. In the meantime, the Biden administration is is already... And the new administration is already doing some hearings and, you know, seeking input and, and comments to a set of rules that, that they want to propose. And this goes back to the EPA and the, and the Army Corps of Engineers. And, and they are, they are both involved with the USDA and, and the administration in this process. We've already submitted some comments to some of these agencies. But one thing that was kind of a surprise. The United States Supreme Court decided to hear what they call Sackett versus EPA, and it would allow the Supreme Court to reexamine the decision in the case that went back to the 86 case called the Rapanos case. So it's important because the way we understand it, the intent of what this would do, it would take if, if they ruled in favor of you know, in other words, if if they want to reexamine that decision from the eighty six case, then what would be the we think would be the outcome would be that it would be a final say on WOTUS. And simultaneously with that definition, it would take WOTUS out of the hands of the executive branch after years of all this regulatory jockeying. Wouldn't necessarily get changed over four or eight years. You would have a definite set of rules that where there would be some predictability and and understanding of what you were dealing with and uh, how the permitting process might proceed. So we filed an amicus brief and with other partner and cattle associations with the court and and we hope after years of uh, regulatory red tape, maybe we can finally arrive at a Walters ruling that makes sense for everybody that's, that's impacted by it. That's a big issue. Right now, we're still operating under the 86 rule, the current administration has elected to proceed, even with the Supreme Court sitting there saying that they're going to rule on this. They've elected to proceed with their proposed rule change to the WOTUS, and, and their goal is to come up with a 
completely new set of rules. They have said that they don't want to go back to the Obama rule. So, but they've definitely vacated the Trump rule or the court did with that Arizona decision. So, but they're moving forward with that process all the time. We've got this case pending with the Supreme Court. But WOTUS has been a, a long time, well, going back, you know, 40 something years almost and a real challenge to deal with because of the unpredictability and, and the way it just about the time you get figured out one set of rules, you got a new set to deal with. Sure. Well, some concreteness would be would be helpful there to just know how to move forward, know, yes, know what to do. Predictability. You may not you may not like everything about it as a producer, but the predictability where you could make your business plan and, and act accordingly and be sure that you're not in violation. Sure. And, you know, there was a lot of things that that was unintended violations just because of a lack, just because based on confusion and a lack of understanding. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And Jay, as we wrap up, one thing that just comes to mind is the old Texas adage, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. No question about it. And it's especially come into that, that adage has been lived out a lot of times over the last 15 years. And it's going to continue, Kristen. And, uh, you know, there's more people coming to Texas. There's more straws in the in the cup. It's a, you know, and we've got to be smart about how we move forward and be encouraging to our different, you know, we've got 101 groundwater conservation districts across the strait with 101 different set of rules. You know, we don't manage by aquifer, which we feel strongly we should be looking at. So, and it is for, it is for fighting, but it's one thing we figured out we can't live without whether you're a rancher, a farmer, or a high-tech worker, urban or rural, we, we got to have it. And and we got to work, be sure we work together. You know, sometimes we get the urban community gets pitted against the ag community as, as we reach out for this, but we've got to work together to better develop brackish waters, stuff that's not being used right now as potable. And, and we know there's some very, this isn't like the produced water, but it's just brackish, but there've been some very successful programs related to converting that. So there's hope and it's going to be a matter of, you know, be sure that we all work together toward the right end goal. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you adding that too. That's, that is a good mindset, helpful mindset to have that we're, we've got to, got to all work together on this. Yes, ma'am. <laughs>